can have their own time of teaching, small groups, and fun, and it's just a great place for them to go. So I wanted to show you this clip today for a couple of reasons. For one, it's fun. We all love Gru, and we love Despicable Me, and some of you are, have already decided you're going to be watching this this afternoon uh, once you get home. Uh, so we're big fans of watching Despicable Me. Now, we're starting a new series today called Back to the Movies. We thought about doing this uh, when we moved back into a theater, but we decided this is really more of an insider's kind of conversation that we're going to be having rather than when we're inviting the other community to come through. Now, at, at some movie uh, series, the goal is to talk about a film clip or a movie that somehow relates to spiritual principles. What we want to do over the next three, four weeks is we want to talk about environments. For how many of you in here remember coming to a Journey Church worship service when it was in a theater before? So that's a lot of hands. That's been six years ago, folks. That's unbelievable. So a lot of you have been there. You know what it was like. Uh, We moved into this facility about six years ago, and we were in the theater. We would start setting up about four or five in the morning. Um, So we could have a 10 o'clock service, and then it was over at 11, and we had to be out of the theater by 12 because the box office opened, and they were going to watch movies in there. It was a really fun, exciting adventure. It was also a very exhausting adventure. And so we had the opportunity to move in here, and this is where we've been. We now are on the eve of a move into what was a theater, and yet you about the kind of environment that is necessary to lead people to know Christ, and that is a safe and a secure environment. So as we watch this clip, if you're a guest, you see a lot of similarities in walking in the room and the three girls walking in Gru's house, right? Does anybody here, has anyone here in this room ever been a guest before? Okay. So if you've ever been to Journey for the first time, you've been a guest, and you know what it feels like. And if you'll remember back, you know that when you first walk in a place, it can feel very much like that. All of the obstacles, all of the dangers, what's going to happen, I don't know what, what to expect. And so what we want to talk about with you today is how do we create an environment that is safe, and why is that important? Before we do that, I want to give you an update for many of you that uh, are, are plugged in here and you, you built relationships here. Uh, I, I want to give you a, an update for Danny Burns um, before we get started. Many of you have been praying for Danny, been praying for Melissa and Nora. And, uh, and so I just wanted to let you know how to pray and also let you know how serious things are. Uh, if you're not aware of, uh, if you haven't built a lot of relationships yet here, Danny has, has been up on this stage up to about three weeks ago, would, would play guitar and, and different things uh, with us. So Danny's been, a, and Melissa have been a big part of, of Journey. Melissa, I will tell you that uh, whenever someone needs to change their children's volunteer slot, and they email a mass email to all the volunteers, I can't do something this Sunday. Can someone switch? I can say about 90% of the time, the very first response is Melissa saying, I'll take care of it for you. I mean, she is on the ball. They, they serve uh, our church in a lot of different ways. Danny went in the hospital a couple of weeks ago, 
and he has lots of different symptoms. Uh, two primary symptoms that he has right now is some internal bleeding and a very severe case of pneumonia. Now, the doctors have told her that the kind of pneumonia and the severity of the pneumonia that he has, that, that it's, most people would not survive that alone. He's also had strep and some other issues going on at the same time. Right now, Danny's on a ventilator. He's receiving an increasing amount of oxygen to continue to survive. He is responsive. If you've been following some of her Facebook updates, Danny is responsive to a degree. He is responding to a degree to questions and, and uh, just speaking to them. He does recognize when someone is there with him. But I, I will tell you that the situation is grave in that they are uncertain whether Danny is going to pull through this. Uh, it is very possible that we'll know that with, within the next day or two. So I would ask you to be praying for Danny. Melissa's not here uh, today, and uh, but I would ask you to pray for Danny. Pray specifically for his health and healing. Pray specifically for their family. I would also encourage you to fight an urge that many of you who love them dearly will have right now, and that is to text, call, email, or message them. Now, when we love somebody and they're hurting, what we want to do is reach out to them and we want to help and we want to care and we want to put our arms around them. But there are some times and some situations in life that an avalanche of care sometimes can be overwhelming. And so what we want to do is we want to kind of honor their need right now to kind of process through this, make decisions that they, they need to make. We have assured them, you, or I assure you, we have communicated to them how much they are cared for and that we are just a moment's notice away from any type of help they may need. So I, I want you to be aware of this uh, because they are a part of our community. They are a part of our family. We love them. We care for them. I also uh, know that sometimes as these announcements go out, sometimes we log them in the back of our minds and, oh, it'll be fine. Because a lot of things in life do end up being fine. I, I wanted you to know things may not be fine. Um, and so we, we're going to find out what that's going to look like in the next few days. Um, if you would like to get receive more information about Danny or updates as they come, Melissa is posting on Facebook from time to time, uh, about every other day or so. Uh, or if you want to come talk to, to, to me or Scott or someone who's keeping in touch with them, you can do that. And I assure you that at the moment we know of a way we can tangibly meet a need for them, we will let that be known so that we can do that. Uh, but for now, we want to pray. We want to support. I know that if you want to leave a supportive message to her uh, on Facebook or whatever, that would be very, as very meaningful to Melissa. Um, if there's an opportunity for us to do more, we will let you know. So please be in prayer. Uh, this is a very serious situation. And we really don't know what is going to happen in these coming days. So uh, why don't we just stop for a minute and uh, let's just pray for them. And then we'll continue this morning. Father, God, uh, do pray that your presence would not just be here among us for us to worship, to learn, to grow. But I pray that your presence would be in a place that is so needed in this moment. In the room with Danny. For him to know that you are there with him. 
I pray that you would give him courage and hope. I pray that you would give him a desire to fight and to grow, to heal. Father, I pray that you would be with his physicians, the nurses, all those that are caring for him, that are watching his tests, that are determining the best course of action for his health and healing. God, we know that we have so many options for healing today because you have given us the ability to discover those. You've given us an ability to create technology to extend life, and to reverse the effects of terrible diseases. Father, I pray that you would be at work to bring all those together to bring healing into his life. He can be there for his wife and their daughter. Father, I pray that you would be with Melissa as she has to make decisions that are decisions none of us would ever want to be faced with. Difficult reality that is happening right now in their lives that none of us would ever want to face. A fear that can be overwhelming and numbing at times to what may be happening. God, you are a God who works miracles. You, do, you work miracles not just to bless those that you love and that love you, but you do miracles in order to demonstrate your power, your grace, and your glory to those around. And I pray that that would happen in this instance. That a miracle would be worked in Danny's life. Be working in his body. This will be a testament to not only your power and your grace, but to glory in this world. Father, give us wisdom as we care and as we love. Help us to show love in a way that is received as love. Father, I pray that you would walk with them in a very tender time in their lives. Father, I pray that you would be with Nora as I'm certain she is unsure of what's happening with her dad and her mom and Life is very much upside down. Pray that you would not only give her grace, but give her strength, her resilience, an overwhelming sense that you were there with her, walking with her every step of the way. God, I thank you that you do give us grace in so many ways. I pray that that would be evident in this as a testimony to those around what you can do in a life. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, I wanted to be sure that you were aware of what's going on, and we will keep you updated as we go. All right? Now, I want to switch gears, and I want to talk about another type of health. As a church, we decided a long time ago that in order to be a healthy church, you have to be a safe church. There are a lot of churches that don't feel safe to people. They walk in and they feel like they don't fit or they walk in and and they don't look the part and so they're kind of put in the corner. There are a lot of people that walk in and fear whether it ever would happen or not. They fear that it's not going to be a safe place. And what it took to build up the courage to go to a church for the first time puts them at a very vulnerable place in which how they are received may make all the difference and what's going to happen in their lives. And we vowed that we want a journey to be such a safe place. Now, the reason that we think this is so crucial is because we believe that the gospel is meant for those who are in vulnerable places in their lives. Many of those that are ready to take those steps to grow in their faith and to say, I want to know Christ and follow Him They are one step away, and they are at a very vulnerable, fragile place that not handled well can push them away rather than to bring them in. The 
truth is, environments do matter. Some of our fun environments that we like to go to are places like Disney World, Disneyland, going to Six Flags, or Lake Winnie, I think made a, like a top 10 list this past month. I'm not sure how that happened, but it's on somebody's top 10 list. And not for, you know, likely to die on a ride, <laughs> but a favorite place to go. And I remember when we went to Disney World a few years ago, it just so struck me. We were right at the beginning points of, of uh, starting journey. And I remember just thinking, man, they have worked so hard on these environments. Now, what I should do is have Wendy come up here and she could describe to us all that goes in to preparing for visitors because, you know, she and Roy Disney are related somehow. I'm not sure how, but somehow they're related. But not really. But... Uh, but I know that they do go to incredible lengths that every year the entire park will be painted, much of it hand-painted. I know that when we went in the middle of August, it didn't feel like it does this August. It was the kind of August that you just kind of melt into the concrete. But all of the doors for all of the places that are ready and willing to accept your money, the doors are wide open. And I don't know how much air, if, if you need five tons of air conditioning in a shop, they had ten because they were cooling the street. I mean, they had the doors wide open. You would walk by and you'd be like, oh, it would just pull you in. And once you got in, hopefully you would get out your wallet. Environments do matter. Whenever I was a kid, we loved haunted houses. And so a bunch of my buddies and I decided we were going to create our own haunted house. And my friend's garage. So we pulled everything out of the garage. We had sheets up so people would have to go through a maze. We had ketchup and red makeup and all kinds of blood. We had garden tools, you know, ready to rev them up. I mean, we were ready to go. And the great thing about a haunted house is it really doesn't take a whole lot of expertise to pull one out, pull one off. All you really need is for it to be dark, right? So with all the lights out, people jumping from every imaginable place, we, I mean, we had a blast. Environments do matter. The home that you live in, you likely, when you first saw it, you saw potential. And you have made it yours. Because you care about the environment in which you live. The environment in this place is unique in the way that it has been developed. And the goal was to change the way we thought about being a part of a church community by changing the environment. There's a reason we're looking at the space we're looking to move to because environments do matter. However, an environment is only a tool. It is not the end goal. How we use those environments matter. How we Pursue what the main goal is also matters. As we look at what is most important to God and for us and for, for our mission as a church, God's greatest desire is to know Him and follow Him. It doesn't matter what's on the walls. It doesn't matter how much air conditioning we have. It doesn't matter how great every little piece of the environment is. What matters is, do we know God and are we following Him? Does the environment help lead to that? And I believe that how we receive people 
is the most important part of that environment because it, it demonstrates the first step that people are willing to take to know Christ. John verse, or chapter 10, verse 7, it says this. This is the New Living Translation. It says, uh, it's talking about uh, God's desire for us. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I, Jesus talking here, and the gate for the sheep. Sheep is the metaphor for us, his, those who would follow him. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. He goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep. They know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life. For the sheep. Jesus cares about those who know him and follow him. Now, it's a given that God already knows us. In fact, Scripture tells us that when you were just a thought in, in your uh, parents' heads and you were still in the womb, he knew how many hairs would be on your head. He knows you. Whenever we go into an uncomfortable, awkward situation and we are on point trying to present the right kind of you know, personality, and am I friendly enough but not too friendly? Am I funny enough but not silly? You know, am I engaged enough but not like trying to take over? When we're really on point trying to be who we think we're supposed to be, God really knows us and what's going on inside of us. The things that we would never admit to anybody of what's happening inside of us, God knows those things. He already does. There's nothing we have to do to give God access to that information. Whatever you're doing, God knows. I mean, whatever's happening in your heart, God knows. Whatever you're doing behind closed doors, God knows. Whatever you're doing out in front of everybody for the wrong reasons, God knows all that stuff. And when everybody else is down on you and thinks that you're not worth much, God knows you better. God already knows what his desire is not that he would know. He already does. His desire is that we would know him. And that all we do leads people to know them. I want you just to take a minute and think about your relationship with God, whether it's through your time of prayer or study or time of worship, whatever. Just to really imagine the fact that God knows everything I'm going through right now. He knows every emotion I'm going through, every heartache, every fear. He knows. He's keenly aware. I don't have to hide from him. I don't have to pretend I'm something I'm not. I don't have to act like I'm some perfect Christian around God. He knows what kind of Christian I am. He knows the bad. He also knows the good that other people don't see. God knows you. That should be reflected in the way that we communicate with him. The way that we worship him. The way that we study. God knows. What we find in this passage is you can be saved through Jesus Christ. That's what he's promising here. We know that you can fully know Christ as well as to be fully known by Christ. You can fully know him. Convinced that many people who get frustrated in their faith have never come to a place where they really know Christ. They know about him. They know about activities they should participate in. But they don't really know Christ. Because if they did, that would change the whole way they perceive everything else. 
But you can fully know Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. You can fully know me. He also says, and what we all crave, is we can have a rich and a satisfying life. That's what we want, isn't it? Now, I will say that sometimes my idea of a rich and satisfying life may not be God's idea of a rich and satisfying life, right? My idea of a rich and satisfying life is as little work as possible, as much fun as possible, no worries, no fears, no hardship. That would be a rich and satisfying life. If we could get through this life and we just everything worked out exactly the way we had hoped it would, then that would be great, wouldn't it? And the problem is that there's a lot of people who believe that's what it looks like to live a life of faith. Everything will just work out the way you, you always hoped it would. Then we have to go through and do things like read Scripture, and we find out, well, things probably didn't work out for a lot of people in Scripture the way they hoped it would, and they were following Christ. You look at the disciples' lives, and we know that they had some hard things in their life. So it's possible that a rich and satisfying life is not the American idea of a rich and satisfying life, but that God says there's something richer and more satisfying, even if it's accompanied by hardship and pain. There's something worthwhile there. And he promises that rich and satisfying life. What I know about my own life, what I know about working with others, and and what I know from many of you, is that in all of these things, we never can just walk into all of this stuff and it just happens, right? I just don't wake up one morning and everything, I'm at peace over my life. I'm at peace over decisions that need to be made. I just know Christ today and I didn't know him yesterday. But in fact, It all takes a first step. All takes a first step. As we talk about going back to the movies and as we're talking about environments, I want to talk to you about this first step. Now, many of you, all of you, have experience in this first step. You you know what it's like to try to take it or to take that first step. You know what the anxieties are that are that accompany it. You know all of the fears that go there, but Anything in life that was really worthwhile, it took a first step, right? If you're married and you're glad you're married, I hope you all are, somebody had to ask somebody out, right? Somebody had to take the first step and put themselves out there and say, hey, would you go out with me? Now, it was funny, when my first time asking Deidre out took about three and a half hours. I, I did the asking. Um, I think I was waiting for her to ask. I'm not sure why I waited three and a half hours. But it was three and a half hours, five friends sitting on a porch playing poker until 3.30 in the morning. And finally, when we ended and we were going our separate ways, I finally said, hey, we were both counselors at a camp. When this whole camp thing's over, you want to go, go do something? I think a first step. Now, for some of you, you're like, what's the big deal? Because some of you are, you know, you don't have any problems. You have no qualms whatsoever. If you want something, you go after it. You tell them. You're ready to go. For some of us, it takes a lot of, we've got to work up the courage. And she said yes, and it was a beautiful three months until she dumped me. And then it was another year before she decided she made the biggest mistake of her life and went out with me again. Again, she may not be, she may not retell that story the same way, but... That's the way it happens, if you want to know, all right? It takes a first step. If you're going to learn a new skill at work, it takes a first step, doesn't it? You've got to decide, I'm going to take a step. 
If you're going to go to a new job, you've got to take a step. You've got to put a resume together. You've got to put yourself out there. You have to take a step. If you're going to further your education, you have to take a step. You've got to at least apply. See, can I afford this? Is there financial aid available? Is there a grant I can get? You've got to take a step. A lot of teaching our children has a lot to do with learning how to take the right steps, right? Because as you grow, there's a lot of disappointment. Things don't work out the way that they are, or they find they have to work harder for something that they really want. You have to teach them. You know, you've got to take a step. That first step is crucial because without it, there will be no subsequent step. And on most things in life, it takes a lot of steps to get to where you want to go. You have to take a step. Whenever I was in high school, uh, I, I had been in church my entire life, and uh, but there was a time in my high school that I really wasn't certain which was more important to me. Was it a relationship with God or was it a relationship with friends? I, I really wasn't sure which was most important to me at the time. And so I, I decided as I entered into high school that my relationship with friends was the most important thing at the moment. I had all the time in the world to develop a relationship with God, but I needed to get in with some friends in high school right away. And so I found myself doing what I had to do to have a group of friends that would accept me in any particular environment. Maybe some of you know what that feels like. A lot of those things that you have to do are not things that are healthy for you to do. I remember at our at that stage in our lives, we went to a, a pretty good school, and it was at a at, you know a higher income part of town, and so didn't have some of the issues that other places had, and and we had a lot of the same issues that other places had. But I, I remember that you know one of the things you had to do to kind of prove yourself was kind of the language that you use. Not I don't know if that's so much today, but so you had to use some you know, divergent language, we'll say, in order to be accepted by a popular group. So things would just come out of my mouth and things would come out of the mouths of the people I was around and I didn't know what I was saying. If I were to sit here and try to cuss you out, I will be honest, you would die laughing, you would not be offended. I'm no good at it. I I can't string words together hardly in English, much less, you know, cuss words together to, to really put somebody down and so I just throw them out in random ways and places, not knowing what you're supposed to do, because I never grew up around it. But along the way, in all of my attempts to be accepted by a group that really didn't care anything about me, determined there was something more important in life I was after. And if I was never going to be the popular one, at least what I could be is at peace with myself. And what I knew about being at peace with myself from what I had learned as a kid growing up was there is peace when I'm with God. I can be at peace with God. So uh, several of our kids over the last few weeks have been baptized after going to Centrifuge. I've shared before uh, a real turning point in my life was at a Centrifuge camp. Uh, It was my freshman year um, of high school. It was the summer after my freshman year. And we went, and I had just, my freshman year, I had just been all over the place. So I decided, I, I need to do this. So my step was simply being open. This isn't working. I, do, I feel less at peace 
even though I have more friends than I probably ever have, I feel less at peace right now with myself. I just feel like a big bowl of anxiety. I'm going to be open if God wants to talk to me. But for me, my first step was just being open. It was a time of being vulnerable. It was a time where I had to begin to identify what's most important to me And I had to step out of the ledge I had just built for comfort into an uncomfortable place, but I didn't know where the future was. Your first step is a crucial step. The first step is a step that leads to every other step. Many times the first step is the most important step because it's the gateway to all other steps. What I want you to know about an environment here or an environment at work, when people know that you're a believer, is that people become closed when they don't perceive that it's safe to be open. My first step was simply to be open. But if I don't perceive that I'm in a place where I can be, I will close back up. That's the way we work. If a person walks into this room and God's been working in their life in some way, and they're open, and they walk into the room, and we don't receive them well, then they will close back off. See, God has partnered with us in an incredible opportunity for us to either help someone know Him or to turn people away from knowing Him. He has given us a great amount of influence in this world, whereas if He had just stuck around and done it Himself, it may have worked out a whole lot better in our minds that he has chosen to use us to take the gospel around the world. How we receive people at these vulnerable times of their lives are incredibly important. How others perceive us may make a difference in the future paths they take. Perception, many times, is more important and more powerful than reality. See, reality is what it is. How I perceive that reality determines how I respond to it. So how people perceive us matters. And we have a high value at Journey of being yourself. People can come as you are, and that is crucial to creating a safe and open environment. Come as you are. However, as you begin to know Christ, you have to begin spending more time focused not on letting me come and be as I am. Instead, how do, I, how do I portray myself so that others perceive me in a way that's helpful? Do we walk in on a Sunday morning and say, how can I be helpful to someone else? Maybe a conversation in the parking lot is the most important conversation of the day. Maybe a conversation in the hallways. Maybe a conversation after worship. Maybe a message after. Simply say, man, it's great to see you. Maybe the most important moment of the day to changing their perception that it is safe to be open. And here's, here's what I know. That Jesus is fiercely defensive of those who are open and fragile. He is fiercely defensive of people who are open and fragile. Matthew chapter 18 says this. At the time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Obviously they are clueless really about what this is all about yet. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? And calling to him a child, he put in the midst of them. And he said, truly I say to you, 
Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck than be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus is fiercely defensive of those who are open and fragile. God demonstrates his grace through those who are perceived as weak. So it should not be a stretch for us to recognize that many who come into our midst are in a place of weakness. How we respond to people when they are in their place of weakness may make the difference to whether they receive the gospel or whether they do not. The way we carry ourselves, the way we elevate others, may be that thing that encourages them in a time of weakness to turn it into a time of strength by knowing Christ. God demonstrates His grace through those perceived as weak. People cannot come to Christ except in a moment of weakness because it is in that moment of weakness we're most open to repent of our sins and accept Savior. It is not in our moment of strength that we're willing to do that because it's in our moment of strength that we're convinced we can do it on ourselves, by ourselves. The moment of weakness that we recognize, I need someone other than myself, and that's where God enters a life. How we handle those who come in in a moment of weakness may mean everything for them and their lives. God is fiercely defensive of those people in those positions. So much so to say, it's better for you to have a rock around your neck and be thrown over the boat than for you to get in their way when they're ready. Church has not always been good at this. We've not always been good at being there for people in their weak moments. Instead, we have had, at times, we have approached it from the expectation that when you come, come from a, a, a position of strength. You've got it together dress well. You act the part. Don't come with your problems. Don't come messed up. Go get cleaned up, then come. And we've turned away so many people that are right there ready to take the most important step of their life and because they come in a moment of weakness and we don't receive them well, we push them away. How do we do this? Well, we should be fiercely defensive of those who are open and fragile. We should allow people to come as they are. Some of the ways that I've experienced that in in my life where I wasn't necessarily accepted were, you know, there was a time that you had to wear really nice clothes, and if you didn't have the really nice clothes, then, then you were looked at like you don't really love God because you don't look nicer. There's a time that those of you that have beards, you, you didn't love God and, and not shave. I mean, one of the ways you did, showed your love for God is that you shaved at least on Sunday morning. So we accept people whether they shave or whether they don't, whether they have long hair and it's shaved on the side like David's or not. <laughs> no, he's not listening. I'm talking about your hair, David. You're welcome. That one was a freebie. So whether they're clean-shaven 
or they're not, they're accepted equally. Whether they're dressed to the nines or they're dressed in clothes that look like they should have been thrown away months ago, they're accepted equally. Whether they come in with a mouth that is just singing and praising God and says all the right things, or they come in saying the things you want to shield your children's ears from, they're accepted the same. Whether they come in and they're friendly, or they come in and they're standoffish, they're accepted the same. It is in maturity, as you grow and mature, that you recognize those who are standoffish, and at sometimes even belligerent, or offensive. A person from maturity recognizes they have the same needs. And they are received the same as the person who is very friendly. We accept the same whether you're an expressive worshiper or whether you're a still worshiper. It's, it's, you're welcome the same. You're welcome the same whether you're a homosexual or whether you're straight. You're welcome the same. Whether you know what it's like to be in a church or not, you're welcome the same. Because how we welcome those at a weak and vulnerable moment in their lives may determine the next steps that they're about to take. And if we don't handle that moment well, we may change the course of their life forever. So we let people come as they are. I think you guys are great at that. A little bit preaching to the choir here. One of the... Number one comments we receive from guests is, I, I could come and just be myself. I, the main thing we hear from people, I, you, you're great at that. We have people that come in all kinds of, of different dress. When my father-in-law is here, he will have a suit and tie on. No doubt about it. He may, he may have been here in a while, so he may change now. He's retired, so he may not uh, dress up as much. But will we accept someone dressed in a suit and tie the same as someone who's dressed in the coolest thing bought from Aeropostale or buckle or wherever we accept them the same one thing i would encourage you to do and that is remember what it was like to be a guest we move into a new facility remember what it was like to be a guest i haven't been a guest in a church in a very long time but i still remember what it's like to be a guest I remember what it's like to drive into the parking lot and not know where the right door is that we're supposed to go into. I remember what it's like to walk up to a door and have people I don't know from Adam look at me and I, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say. Hello? God bless you. Give them a kiss on the cheek like Scripture says. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do in this moment. But I'm going. I know what it's like to have to walk up to somebody and ask them, how do I get to the bathroom? That's not a fun question. Go into a bunch of people and you don't know any of them and you're like, I don't know if I'm in the bathroom. You know, it's not a it's not a fun question. I know how that feels. I know what it feels like to go into a small group for the first time and to walk in and not know anybody. And if you know me, I'm great up here on a stage. But when I'm in a room with people I don't know, I'm in the corner. I'm not an outgoing person socially. And I know what it feels like to walk in the room and to have to sit down. I know what it's like, and I put some of you through this too. I know what it's like to walk through and ask stupid questions and that you have to tell about yourself. You know, take this piece of toilet paper and write down five things that, are, that make you unique. You know, things like that. You know, I know how that feels. We did a thing in college once, and they passed around a thing of toilet paper. 
They said, I want you to pull off the amount of toilet paper that you use in an average day. I was a, I was a high school, I mean a college freshman. I was a guy, so I thought I'd be cute. Wah, 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 you know? I mean, I was just ripping. I was like, there's not going to be anything left for you. I was ripping it out. Boom. <laughs> and then, you know, you had the girls be like, I got half a sheet. What they would do, and you knew, you knew they were lying. And then my jaw dropped, my eyes dropped, I just panic set in. Okay, for every square you pulled off, write something unique about yourself. Cannot put the toilet paper back on the rolls, no matter how hard you try. I know how it feels to do those things. I know what it feels like to walk in and not be sure where you're supposed to sit and to look down in a row and go, I wonder if there's like somebody who always sits in this seat. Should I sit here? I know how that, I remember that. I remember how that feels. One of the best things we can do is to remember what it's like to be a guest. If you can remember what it felt like to be a guest, it will change the way you treat other guests. It really will. The anxieties that they feel. Am I going to be embarrassed? Am I going to fit in? What are these people like? Know anybody here? Are they going to help meet my needs? Am I going to be bored? Anybody sit with me? Are they going to make me stand up and introduce myself? We used to do that in the church too. Oh, so you're a guest. Stand up. Tell us where you're from. Tell us a little about yourself. Social security number, blood type, and any sins you'd like to tell us all here in the, in the middle of worship. Go right ahead. Come on. Who's next? Where's another guest? No, no more guests? If they have any church experience or scared to death, that's going to happen. You need to know when a guest comes in, what are they looking at? Maybe not the things we're expecting them to look at. When a guest comes in, they want to know, are there other people here like me, at least in some way? And answers the question, will I fit in amongst these people? Are they friendly? Do they want me here? You would be amazed at what a smile and a, and a short conversation will do to let somebody know that we're friendly and we want them here. Are people genuine? Well, I think we're pretty good at being genuine. Sometimes we're a little too genuine, let's be honest, but I think we're pretty good at being genuine. And they help me. People who stay at Journey don't generally come just because they have nothing else to do. Can they help me? What I know is that those who are safe quickly forget what it feels like to not be safe. I think it's a defense mechanism. We so hate not feeling safe. It's one of our most basic needs that once we achieve it, we want to forget what it felt like to not be safe. We're afraid to feel that way. In the church, once we forget what it feels like, then we can't remember for those who are not feeling safe. Those who are safe quickly forget what it feels like to not be safe. People are at their most vulnerable when they are one step away from knowing God, so how we handle that moment of safety is so crucial. I want you to remind you that Jesus is fiercely defensive of those who are open and fragile, and so should we. I was going to read another passage. I'm not going to read it. You're familiar with the parable of the money changers? Not really a parable, the event of the money changers. 
We've used that in a lot of different ways. You should not sell pancakes in the church for the youth fund. Jesus would come in and turn the tables over and crack the whip and do all those things. You should not sell T-shirts in, at the church because that's, Jesus hates that. You should, the church shouldn't sell stuff. That is not the message of that story. The message of the story are those in a weak and fragile moment of their lives being taken advantage of religious people. And Jesus got angry because those people in weak and fragile moments is where he wants to be. And so he got angry with those that took advantage of them. He is fiercely defensive of those who are vulnerable. Well, I hope that we can create, this is what I want to close with today. What I hope that we can create as we're moving forward, and this is why this is an insider conversation, not an outsider conversation. If you're a guest today, I'm glad you can kind of see a little bit of the inner goal and vision of our church but uh, for those of you who have been here a long time a lot of this is maybe old hat for you but it's always good for a refresher remember that a safe environment allows people to be vulnerable we all need that at different moments of our lives safe environment allows that this must be a safe environment what does it look like to be a safe environment it looks there's there's some Tangible and non-tangible ways to make that happen. Some of the tangible ways are greeters who smile. We've got the one of the best greeters in the world in our church with Jean, and we get hugs from her. We have some not quite as friendly, but still pretty friendly greeters at the front door most of the time. We really don't want a hug from them. So we're, okay. we're comfortable with the amount of hugs that they give, and they don't want to give any hugs either, so that works out just fine. Yet we are moving into a facility that has a really long parking lot. And that long parking lot, a guest can go, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go. There are a lot of places in here. We're going to address that with some signs and different things. I'm going to need some of you to put T-shirts on and to walk out there and wave people where they're supposed to park. Some of you, we're going to ask you, once you, once we get over there, we're going to tell you where we want you to park. I want to just come as you are. I'm going to park where I want. But I will tell you that the most convenient place to park, no one will see it, that you're parked there. And you want to scare off a guest, walk in, drive into an empty parking lot. They will drive back out. So we're going to ask you to park in a section that's going to be more visible to others. So it looks like, hey, there's some people here because a guest wants to somewhat disappear if they can until they get to know people. Not everybody does, but a lot do. We're going to ask you to park in a specific area of the parking lot. So it looks like there's other people here. I'm not going to be the only one. It's not going to be me and the preacher. There will be other people here. So we're going to ask you to park in a specific place. We're going to ask you to smile. I'm not a big smiler. I'm a happy guy, but I'm not a big smiler. I get a joke about how I don't smile. I'm not a big smiler. At least I have got to smile. And the truth is, is, the more you smile, the better it is for you and the more natural it becomes. We all know that person who has that permanent mad face. And then they smile. It just, it's not right. It's just not natural. You know they never smile. If that needs to be you, this is a safe place. You can be that person. Just smile. I'm going to ask you to be helpful even when you're not on. On means I'm signed up to be a volunteer. I have to be helpful at that time. Not volunteering today. I was helpful last week. Somebody else can help this week. 
and ask you to be helpful even when you're not on. Someone's not sure where they're going. Help them out. Someone has a question. Help them out. Someone's standing there in the corner by themselves. You've never seen them before. They may have been coming for eight years, but you've just never seen them before. Go talk to them. Just go. Talk. It's happened in here, hasn't it? Some of it's happened. Hey, is this your first time? No, I, I've been here since the first Sunday. Oh, oh, okay. Sometimes that happens to me. Not really, but not that far back, but it does happen to me. May I ask you to politely sit next to people that you don't know? Now, we've already discussed amongst our staff and our elders and with the landlord how you are. Now, I want this to be a safe place, but I've got to share a little truth with you, all right? And that is, everybody likes their personal space journey more than most people. We like to have our personal space. Hey, this is my seat, which means the three seats in front, the three seats behind, and the seat on either side are empty. Go find another. I'm going to tell you, we don't have enough seats for that. We don't have enough seats for that. Don't write your name in the back of your seat. It's not your seat. You didn't buy it. You don't own it. All right? You, can't, you could buy it. That'd be a good fundraiser, buy a seat. But then you would think that no one else should sit there. We've had, I, I was in a church in Fort Worth, and we actually watched this happen, where a guest couple had been in there early, because guests are often here early, regulars, often here early. They came and they sat down, and a couple who had sat there for 50 years walked up and stood beside their pew and just stood there and looked at them. Now, you're a guest. Not a safe place anymore, is it? You know, it's not safe anymore. And they stood there until they got up and moved because that was their seat. Don't have your seat. Most of you don't have your seat anyways other than the students. And we put them up front because you people won't sit up here. Except for the, you know, you not, you find people. The rest of you are bad people. No, I'm just kidding. See, that's not a safe environment either. Sit next to people. You see somebody you don't know, sit next to them. You don't have to talk about where you've been through your entire life. You just have to say hello. Just be friendly. I would also encourage some of you who are a little farther along in your comfort and your maturity as a believer to specifically go to people that look drastically different than yourself. If you want to create a safe place, be one of those people that you look unsafe and convince them otherwise. Because the most unsafe people in our eyes are the people that are the most different from us. Go to the people you don't look like. Be friendly. Invite others to be involved. Many of you are already doing that. Choose to serve joyfully and willingly. Be real, authentic, be transparent, which is not really a big issue here. But also take it the extra step and just be... Uh, friend. I think this is the most important, one of the most important steps that we can take, not because this is the only thing that leads a person to know Christ, but this very often is the thing that stops somebody who is on the way. This is one of the things that stops so many people and it shouldn't. We have to make a conscious decision of how we're going to treat others to be a safe environment for them. So I want to leave you with this. Jesus is fiercely defensive of those who are open and fragile, and so 
should we? So as we plan for this move, which is only in about three weeks, please be thinking about how you can engage others. For some of you who are scared to death to engage others, and you're like, I'm not coming with you now. I mean, if i got to do that, I'm out of here. That's too much work. That's too hard. I mean, I will die every time I go to church because that just drives me nuts. I can't talk to people. Okay. Take your time. It's a safe place for you, too. But as you grow, as you feel comfortable, take the opportunity to make somebody else feel comfortable as well. So we are excited. We are looking forward not to just being in a new place, although that's fun and exciting, and there's a lot of things we're looking forward there. But what we're looking forward most to are a lot of new relationships with people. What we want to see happen in this place is not that we are in a different room, but there are more people with us. People that don't know Christ that now can. And I want to invite you to be a partner with us in that. Some of you have also asked what are some ways that you can tangibly, physically help. When we moved into this facility, um, there were lots of ways to do that. Uh, we, we were in here building walls and putting that brick stuff up and putting siding up and painting. We painted almost every square inch of this, this facility. I mean, we've done a ton of stuff in here. And for some of us, it's kind of hard to walk away from the amount of work that's been done. Moving into this facility, we don't have the opportunity to do that work ourselves. It's a professionally maintained facility, and they want to make sure that once we're gone, we don't mess it up, although I think we'll be there a long time. So they, they have asked that we bring in licensed people to do the work. Licensed people are expensive. And so if you would like to participate by giving towards that, we anticipate if we were to move in with everything done that we want to do, we're going to have a bill in the ten dollars to $12,000 range. That's a lot of money. And I would love to spend ten dollars to $12,000 putting in a well somewhere or giving it to someone who is in need. This is also a need for us to build relationships and environments do matter. A lot of that is just painting. It's an awful institutional green right now. Not very open and inviting. A lot of that is just painting. So if you would like to give towards that, we are making the decision now how we're going to handle it. Those of you who have walked with us through getting out of debt, we're not going back into debt to do this. So that means that if we've got to paint a wall a week or wall a month, that's what we'll do. Um, if we want to move in with it all done, then you've got to pony up. And you do have an opportunity to do that. You will have an opportunity to help by moving things in. And we are still work coordinating what that's going to look like with the land um, owner. But that is likely going to start this week. And so we will communicate with you through Facebook or social media or email and let you know ways that you can do that. Some of our children's workers are staying after today to have lunch, and they're going through all the children's stuff to figure out what can we get rid of, what do we need, what do we need to replace, what do we need to clean or repair. They're going to go through all those things, or a lot of those things today. So there will be other ways for you to participate in that as well. Once we move in, we're going to have lots of other positions for you to be a part of. And I hope that you'll help recognizing all of those are a goal to create a safe environment so people can take the next step. All right? That's what I've got for you today. Let's continue to pray for Danny, Melissa, and Nora. We'll also try to update you as best we can as far as that goes.
Let's pray, then we'll sing one more song. Father, God, we thank you for the kind of love that you have given us that we don't deserve, ways you've cared and loved us and been there for us. I pray that you would help us to not just follow you, but to know you. God, I thank you for the number of people that are here that have helped create safe places for us all, that we're wanted and loved, cared for, that we can be vulnerable and grow. Father, I pray that you would help us all to find those places where we are most effective at letting people know that they are welcome. And that place of vulnerability, though fearful, is a wonderful opportunity to propel themselves to the next step. Thank you for your son who's given us grace and love in life. In his name we pray.